Informed opinions are oftentimes presented here. You're locked in with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank, I'm Branham. Brian McDonald in for Joe George today. Time to hand out some game balls from the NFL weekend. Who are you giving game balls to? 713-780-3776. What about you, Blankers? I'm going to start with one that I know I feel very confident wasn't going to be selected by anybody else on this panel, and that would be Josh Allen. He did start the game very poorly with two really, really atrocious picks. But and he had you, a fumble, too. Yeah, he had three turnovers. And three, but you also <laughs> led the team in rushing. You got the biggest first down of the entire season, which put away the game, and you were 30 of 38 for 359 and two touches. I think he did more than enough to help help his team out, too. I think Josh Allen, in, in the biggest game of the year for them, and, and obviously to win the division, I'm giving him a game ball. <sighs> Three turnover game balls. I don't know how I feel about that. That, that, Those are, that doesn't sit right with you, Jeremy. Not, it, it, it makes my skin crawl. Hey, you turned it over three times. Here's the game ball, my guy. Great game. That's part of you're, you're not a Josh Allen guy. The Bills would have won by 20 if they had a quarterback who could take care of the football. Like, the game ball should be the defense. The Tool game ball should be Khalil Shakir. Well, I've been saying that. How does that compare to But I'm just Allen? saying, Allen's numbers to me and leading the team in rushing. He had tons of yards. He did have tons of yards. Impressive. That last run where I thought he was stopped two or three yards shy of the first down and he got it. Mm-hmm. Impressive. He had a great fourth quarter. I just cannot give a game ball to a guy who has three turnovers. If I were to give a game ball in this game to an offensive player, it would have been Khalil Shakir. Like, comes out of nowhere, goes over 100 yards, had some big catches. Uh, cool to see. I was pulling for the Dolphins in this game. Uh, I like the Dolphins more than I like the Bills. Shakir's got some Jets, man. What do you got good. on that sideline? That's a Woo! like that team has skill players like that. The skill around Josh Allen's fantastic. Diggs is really good. Davis. Dalton Kincaid's one of the best young tight ends in the league. Davis to me has actually been a little disappointing the last couple but of he's years. Got he's very up and down. Yeah, but he's like, got talent. Sure, but I think he's been a disappointment the last couple of years. Both things can be true. Mm-hmm. And then Shakir's got some juice. And I love James Cook. I mm-hmm. think James Cook's one of the most underrated running backs in the league. I think Allen has an unbelievable arsenal of weapons. Um, he's played lousy, I think, in the last outside of the fourth quarter yesterday. I thought he was good in the fourth quarter. Outside of the fourth quarter yesterday, I think he's been lousy the last two games. Uh, now, I don't think they have any issues with Pittsburgh. Like, that was a big win because they get Pittsburgh at home in round one. So that was big on that. Without front. Watt, probably, too. Yeah, they're going to hold him out. There's, like, thoughts that maybe he could come back. But, nah. yeah. I mean, they say try to get back in the game. He want, yeah, there was there, Tomlin didn't want to talk about that. But when you saw the replay and everything like that and how much he means to that team, if there was any chance of him playing in the, in the first round of the playoffs, you don't put him back in that ball game. No, no, not in that game. But, like, you, you throw caution to the wind once you're in the playoffs, though. Like, I, I could think, see him playing against Buffalo. I think at that point it was pretty clear they were two scores up. I thought that they were in control enough. That, yeah. yeah, that was. We're on the same page yeah. there. I'm saying in the wild card at Buffalo. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. And, and even J.J. said, uh, optimally, J.J. was tweeting about it, saying if it's a grade two, that maybe in a week or two you have them, but not for this week. Dak Prescott. Four touchdowns, gets a game ball for me. Kind of makes the MVP conversation close-ish. I don't really think he makes it close. I think it's Lamar Jackson's award. But it wraps up a fantastic year for Dak Prescott. One of the best years he's ever had. Uh, C.D. Lamb, career year. He caught two touchdowns in that game. Two yards under 100 yards. So he gets an honorary game ball. Are we ready to say that Mike McCarthy got it right by taking over the play calling? I... As much as I've been critical of Mike McCarthy's play calling in the past, I, I mean, I don't know that there was anything wrong with Kellen Moore, but Mike McCarthy should get flowers for what he's done this year because he plays a part by calling the plays no matter what weapons you have. We've seen it gone south 
like Buffalo early in the season, I- I'm fine with giving Mike McCarthy credit for this season doing what he's done. Yeah, I think I, that I, I think it was a better decision. Yeah, the way things out. went with the Chargers, I think you kind of have to if you if you're forced to pick yeah. a side, you have to. I think you have to pick Mike McCarthy. I wonder if he's an OC in the league next year, Kellen Moore. I think he'll get. Did you see well, on that list? We saw that they were still rumoring him to be a head coaching candidate. I think though, I don't think for this cycle he's going to be considered a head coaching candidate. There, are, there aren't enough jobs available. I don't think for him to get a job. I rather I would hire Slug before Kellen Moore. Oh, for sure. Or and Ben Johnson. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Ben Johnson's a no-brainer. Uh, Brian, who you got? You giving a game uh, ball to? First one, uh, Jameis Winston for completely ignoring his head coaches. Uh, uh, pleased to take a knee and end the game and said, you know what, it's week 18, I never get to play. Boys were scored another touchdown, run up the score. There's no problem with running up the score in the NFL. You're all professionals, don't cry. I love Jameis Winston ignoring the coach's call and running another play. There's I, so much on the bone here. I love Jameis Winston. I would cut Jameis Winston today. So, so would I. Eh. He's going to be a free agent, so he can walk anyway. But he, you need to get him out of the locker room. I have no. I, I think he's a good teammate, and I think the players love him. Like I love his. I think his teammates love him. And I agree with you, Brian. I, I think running up the score type stuff is so, so overrated. Like stop him. Don't in, throw an interception. In the pros, in the pros. Like I, I get it. If, if it's Alabama playing a directional school, I get it. But yeah. if, you're, if you're all paid professionals, I mean, there's no there's no such thing as but the, up the directional score. school is getting at least a million to come take that okay. loss. Okay, you know what I mean? okay, maybe maybe insert you know I, I don't know whatever the, Auburn. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Auburn, in a, Auburn in a bad year. Whoever the worst team in the conference is. My my contention on this play wasn't that they were running up the score. Like, what was Arthur Smith doing? That led to the interception. He's trying to move the ball. He's trying to score. So why can't the Saints? Because of the margin of the, the, the score? Like, you were trying to score in a blowout game. Why can't the Saints try to score in a blowout game? The problem that I have is that he flat out told his head yeah. like the head coach flat out told him take a take a knee victory formation and you go against orders to go rogue and put matters in your own hand as a coach he's now cut your off and if yeah. you're going to allow that it says more about you as the head coach than anything Jameis did. this is like the Jair Alexander situation a week or two ago you can't have that guy like that on your team if you're going to be the head coach and have complete authority and this was twofold this was the fact that he disobeyed his coach but yet, he also went in the victory formation, which completely led the defense to believe that they could relax, that this one was over, they were going to take a knee, and then they were embarrassed. And, and and they scored on that that way. And that's not going to be forgotten. That's how sometimes guys get hurt. I, I just thought that for that, that those reasons and more, I don't care what you and the team decided. The fact of the matter is, you disobeyed your coach. You put a lot of guys playing in jeopardy with the way that they were in the formation you set up in, and I thought it was a BS decision. And I think if Allen doesn't do anything about it, it's a weak look as a head coach. Like, how, he's how's around. He, I think Jameis knows he you? wasn't coming back regardless. Yeah, if Allen keeps his job, too. Yeah. What? I'm gonna they go, went, they reports, went 9 and 8. I would expect him to keep his job. The reports are they're keeping him, which I, I don't agree with. I would move on. I don't think he's a very good coach, but reports are they're keeping him. He's more of a court defense coordinator than he is a head coach. But at the same time, if he does make he he keeps his job, Jameis can't be back. I'd cut him today. Just send a message. I know he's probably gone anyways. Just send a message. I'm not standing for that. Like show you're tough. You got it. Like first, what, what do you do? First day in prison. That's what that. That's what Dennis Allen has to do today. <laughs> you're equating question yeah, the prison, biggest guy in the in prison the, rules. <laughs> yeah, Jameis Winston went against the grain of me calling victory oh, formation soft. prison rules. Celebrate Jameis. That's anything but soft. soft. It might be stupid. It might be a wild, egregious reach, but it's not soft. Yeah. <laughs> it's not soft. Blankers, who are you getting a Derek game ball? Derek Carr's got to get a game ball. Derek Carr's got a game ball because he was the reason why they got that big lead. Four touchdown passes. No, no interceptions. 
threw for 264, uh, was throwing it all over the field and, and, and doing what he was supposed to do all year long. But that game mattered to them. And unlike Tampa Bay, who basically limped in with a 9 nothing victory, Derek Carr led his team to victory with the four touchdown passes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's deserving of a game ball. The, the Falcons, you could tell, are just ready for the season to be over. Ready for Arthur Smith ready to be gone. Ready for Arthur Smith to be gone. Fired him immediately. Uh, good for Arthur Smith, though, getting a little shouts in before he got fired. So Derek Carr, game ball. I'm going to give my next game ball to one of the better quarterback performances we saw in a big game yesterday. Jordan Love. Jordan Love goes over 300 yards, two touchdowns, must-win game. They they had to have it to get into the postseason. And Jordan Love continues to show his plight as one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. You keep doing that, and just like the the Josh Allen situation, I'll keep telling you that he only faced like 12% uh, pass rush during the course of the game, which was awful. That means he's throwing into coverage. It meant meant the Bears basically were mailing it in, too. And they weren't anywhere close to him, and he could just sit back there all day. Look, credit for them, they got the win, but you know I'm not going to say he's one of the best young quarterbacks in the game today. I mean, he, was, he finished, what, top three in touchdown passes? Up there. Had a great year. I mean, it's, you finished top three in touchdown passes. It's hard not to say you're, you're not at least a, a young player ascending. They're gonna, I think they're going to pay on this offseason. Lock I don't. him up. I, I, well, I think he's got six mil on the books for next year, and they're cheap that way with the way they want to kind of ride the cap out. But I think, like you and I discussed, Maybe a one- or two-year extension on top of that, but he's it ain't going further than that. He's not going to accept a two-, three-year extension. We'll see. No way he would. Like he's he's okay, one of the we'll statistically one of the better young quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not going to take a two-year deal. That's too team-friendly. Yeah. Who's his agent? All right, Brian, who are you giving the game ball to? Uh, I'll give my next game ball to uh, Puka Nakua, who hmm. uh, is not obviously going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. That's going to C.J. Stroud, but... In any other year, Puka Nakua is winning Offensive Rookie of the Year because he set the NFL wide receiver rookie record for both receptions and receiving yards. Had to play in a game that didn't mean anything for the re- to get there, but I don't blame him. You have a chance to get those records. You go out and get them. And on top of that, somehow Carson Wentz and the Rams won the game anyway. So uh, game ball to Puka Nakua. Uh, Keith from L.A. is happy with you because he, uh, he said two game balls. Puka for breaking the rookie record for receptions and yards into the Houston Texans. He's trying to be on our uh, – he's trying to curry favor – with the Killer Bees. Puka Nakua, first-rounder in fantasy football next year? Oh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say first-rounder just because wide receivers are already only going to be maybe four, four wide receivers. And I, like it, Basically, you'd have to say he's a top-five wide receiver. I think receiver. it's the format. I think it's the format. PPR, I think he's a late first-rounder, standard, and I would also, say. It also second. depends on league size. I think he's probably around player 14 to 15. I think PPR is a – I'll bet you. Okay. I'll bet you in a PPR. PPR. That so we're he talking, is a we're, top 12 pick. We're saying APR. APR. Or, uh, yeah, ARP. And how are we ARP? AARP. Uh, <laughs> well, you got them all. <laughs> People ADP. didn't see me we look got at there eventually. Uh, ADP. What's, what's the, ADP. What are we using as the determining factor, though? Because we have to come together with a source that determines uh, that. ADP. Underdog? For- Underdog, huh? underdog, yeah, that's fine. A, underdog, underdog, ADP. Underdog, they ADP. A, they use a full point PPR. Yeah, and that's a 12 person league, right? I'm not sure if they use a full point or a half point, but either way, we'll use underdog. Well, well, I'll give you the half point, but okay. we'll use underdog. Okay. Because underdog is the one that I use the most. All right, another game ball you have, Blankers? No, I was going to say on that, though, he's in the discussion with CJ for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I don't think so. And, and, and there's a lot of people that are trying to push for it. CJ's the most important position on the entire damn football field, and, and there's no way that he should not get Offensive Rookie of the Year. But 
kudos to Puka for putting together one hell of a season out of nowhere. Literally yeah, out of win, nowhere. He'd win rookie of the year in basically any other season. Yeah, except you have the best quarterback performance by a rookie in a couple decades. Uh, 0584, Derrick Henry for having a great game and eliminating the Jags. Yeah, kudos. That's why I'm wearing my Over 150 rushing yards. H-Town blue hat. Riding to free agency, too. Talk about closing strong. And he, like, addressed the crowd afterwards yep. in Nashville. That was pretty cool. I'm fascinated with the Derrick Henry market in the offseason. Did you see what Cowher said 30. after the game? Because I, I think that he's right, but I don't think there's ever a, there's a situation where Derrick Henry agrees to it. He said he does. He gives up being the feature back. He's the back that comes in in the fourth quarter after another back has taken a lot of the punishment and set the tone. And then he completely bowls over teams for two or three years as like the second running back. I just think Derrick Henry still feels like he could be a feature back. And with the right offensive line or in the right scheme, he's going to still get his. I don't think he ever agrees to anything like that. No, yeah, I think that's outrageous. I mean, he flat out was addressing the crowd and said he's done. Like, he flat out said Done there. Yeah. But I'm saying, Cower wants him to go somewhere where he's going to be the second string running back and then come in and clean, mop up in the fourth quarter and dominate because he's mm-hmm. fresh. I mean, Detroit kind of does that with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. So, like, maybe in the right situation. It also is going to depend on how much Derrick Henry prioritizes winning. Like, if he prioritizes winning, I could see him being, like, kind of an equal share guy in the backfield. Maybe even a little a slightly understudy. That can make sense. Yeah, because like like Pollard's kind of like lightning, you, and you Henry would well, be... Pollard's free, too. But even still, well, even, if, hard even if they brought Pollard backs. back, right, depending on the price for Derrick Henry, because he is a little older, but Derrick Henry on a winning football team, if he splits... And, and that's key, what you said there, Joel, because his splits in games the Titans won versus the, the, game, the games the Titans lost are, are drastic. If he's leaving Tennessee, I'd like to see him go to L.A. with Sean McVay, because no one... Hmm. Gets their running backs more light boxes, more seven man boxes than Sean McVay. So that's interesting. Like that'd be a, a tandem with Kyron Williams. I think that'd be really interesting for the Rams. See, Derrick Henry's such a throwback. Like it's hard for me to find an offensive fit because, like, whenever I think of the Rams scheme, it, I don't really envision Derrick Henry in that scheme. Like I've seen Derrick Henry mentioned for the Texans too. Like I don't see Derrick Henry in this Mm-mm. scheme. No, like, yeah. I don't either. Not, no, in, the, I don't not either. in this offense. No. So. It, it, to me, it's going to take a unique situation with a unique kind of throwback pro style scheme. Well, you know where he fits a lot too, but the, and they're still trying to figure it out because of injury. But Baltimore, if he's in Baltimore's system with the way that they can that, that they can run smash mouth football, and he and he could complement some of the quicker backs they have too. I think he could run the ball in Baltimore. Yeah, they do a lot of stuff out of the gun. Like maybe he's oh, fine at it though. Like I, that's interesting. All right, wrap it up for us, Brian. You have one more. Uh, yeah, I'll give one to Tyrod Taylor for uh, completing mm. the Eagles' collapse to the season. Threw for nearly 300 yards in that win yesterday. Uh, what, the, the, the Eagles go 1-5 and five over their last six. So, uh, game ball to Tyrod Taylor for uh, help finishing off their collapse. How about that? Former Texan quarterback, great. Taysom Hill was quarterback in the Eagles yesterday. They win. Yeah, you're trying to get that one in there hard, huh? Well, I put it on the rundown. I don't care. I'm not yeah. scared of it because you guys were doing your little sneaky business to get it out to drill me on it. So do you, that's fine. Do you really think that if Taysom Hill was the quarterback for the Eagles, they win that game? No. All right, then why did you say it? Because it, it's the <laughs> same, Why not? Because it was the same way of having fun the way you guys got put it on me last week. Yeah. They have coordinator issues there in Philly. I would fire Sirianni. They got a lot. <laughs> he ain't I'd going anywhere, him. but I could see them putting his butt to the fire and saying both coordinators got to be changed yeah, get, and more coaches I'd, than that. I'd get rid of them. Uh, make your final proclamation. Offensive rookie of the year. Defensive rookie of the year. Coach of the year. Where do these Texans stack up? Skiller Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, lots of football this weekend, but if you're hosting a party tonight for the big game or you've got playoff viewing parties set up and you want to get the best eats 
and treats along with the biggest game for your your guests, I got to recommend the Daisy Dips because the Daisy Dips, like growing up in the Midwest, it was awesome to know that a big game meant a big show that meant also a big spread. And a lot of it was centered around the fact that the hors d'oeuvres were fantastic. And with Daisy Dips, my mom used to make from scratch that French onion dip that now you can get direct from Daisy. All you got to do is your local grocery store and pick it up out of the dairy case. You're going to love it. They have ranch and they have French onion. Both fantastic with everything from the vegetable platters to the favorite chips to even the wings. And and it it saves you the time of having to make it yourself because it tastes just like it was made from scratch. They are absolutely fantastic. And with more big games coming up as we get closer to the big game in February and lots of other chances to entertain, this is one of the easier decisions you're going to make because all you got to do is go to the grocery store. You get those unbelievably great-tasting dips, and it makes everything you serve taste even better. Check them out today. I'm telling you, it's the answer to a lot of your problems if you're entertaining during this sports season. Go get some Daisy Dips at your local grocery store. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. You're hooked up with it. You hooked up with it. You decided to marry it. I told you I wasn't into it. You said it didn't matter. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights, but they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. Sounds like Spence needed a little glass of water there. A little, 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 little trouble, a little dry mouth there. Uh, texture saying, uh, dang, Blankers, I'm a Packer fan for 30 years, and I've never heard you hate on anyone else more than Jordan Love. Again, let's be clear. It's not hate. It's just not the overwhelming, overzealous, like, anointing this guy, the next guy to carry carry the torch from the two guys that he's he's stepping up next with. Has anyone he said, said that, He's though? had a good year. Yeah, I've had people say that, Jeremy, and, really? I'm, and I'm entitled to my opinion. And my opinion has been that I need to see more. I've seen quarterbacks. He had a good year. He had a bad first half of the year, but he turned it around nicely. I've seen, like, almost every play. I know the fact that... There have been a ton of wide-open guys where receivers are like center fielders and actually stopping their route and running back to get the ball. So I need to see more before I say he's the next franchise quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Kudos to them. I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. I'm ecstatic they did. I, my bad. No, go ahead. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I respect your opinion. I've never heard anybody compare him to Favre or Rodgers. Oh, believe me. And because I'm still talking to a lot of people back home, there's a lot of guys. One of my best friends growing up is absolutely convinced and he, he wants to start the argument now, and I made him a bet. I said, okay, he, he said he's, he's going to be the next in line, and he's so adamant about it that he brought the stats up for their first year in the season of the league. I said, do you want to make a bet right now? You call the price. But at the end of it, because he called Aaron uh, uh, incapable of winning the big game and was trying to – I said, at the end of it, who's going to have better stats for their career – more and Super Bowl wins. If you want to make the bet right now, I'll make it because people back Did home. Did he make it? Yes. He... <laughs> that's, no, that's foolish. foolish. Yeah, that's, that's foolish. foolish. Yes. Like, I'll give you that. And like you took advantage of a poor soul. Well, <laughs> I, I, I told him to make it easy on himself, but at the same time, when you look at it too, from the standpoint of the big games, the big wins, people forget because of the way it ended with Rodgers. But the, the the games that he won in Dallas, the games that he won along the way, yeah, you can say there were NFC Championship games at home he should have won. And he should have more Super Bowls, wins for overall, like, grand scheme of things, evaluations. But you can't crap on what he's done. And Jordan Love has a lot to do before you want to get him in that conversation. Jordan Love back next year? Oh, everybody wants him back for next year. Do you? Oh, uh, it depends on the price. 
I've always said it depends on the player. I, I, I'm just, I only ask because if, if you don't want Jordan Love, if that were the case, I just don't know what the Packers' yeah, other see, option would be. This year, you don't have a whole hell of a lot of options to get a, a guy that could be better. And he's also on a cheap contract. So they have to really get down to bargaining and try and figure something out. When we had this conversation a week or so ago, I could see them kind of give him a bump for a, a, a couple extra years. But I don't think they're ready to go long-term 40-some million dollars a year. For, and they shouldn't be. Yeah, I just haven't seen the Favre-Rodgers comparisons oh, like you there. have. Uh, 713-780-ESP. Make your final proclamation. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year. Bill Barnwell, who writes for uh, ESPN, he actually gave the Texans two of the three awards. The one might surprise you that he didn't. He did. He gave Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year sweeps. Did he? Uh, to the Texans. Yeah, he had, Well, yeah, he has Stroud, Offensive okay, Rookie right, of the Year, yeah. and he has Anderson, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Okay. He did. He has D'Amico third on his Coach of the Year. Which, Stefanski and Dan Campbell? Nope. The second one surprised me. It's not a name that I've seen listed anywhere, but it's not a bad one. Uh, I, I wouldn't have him ahead of D'Amico. D'Amico would be second for me. I would have Steichen one. I would have D'Amico second. Uh, I'm sorry. I would have Stefanski yes. one, D'Amico second. Uh, 9198 mentioned earlier D'Amico's coach of the year because he turned around the culture and perception of arguably what was the worst sports franchise in America. It's a great point. It's a great point. It's why a lot of people, I think, will be voting for D'Amico. No, he has Sean McVay second. Okay. Which, I mean, can make some sense. Like, you were not good last year. You had all these young players. Puka, six-rounder, who's second in Offensive Rookie of the Year, broke the receiver rookie records. He's got two third-round defensive players who are playing at a high level. Uh, I could see McVay getting votes. I wouldn't have McVay ahead of D'Amico, though. See, because I think McVay did what D'Amico did, only D'Amico did it better because of where they came from to get where they got to and the fact that, yeah, they, I understand McVay, he still got Aaron Donald. He still had a roster that looked like it had better players. Sure, they found some guys in the draft, but just the seven-game turnaround from, from and, and him and CJ in their first year in their jobs and the fact that they've done what they did, no matter what other details, I, I think it's Stefanski and I think it's D'Amico. I, I, I wouldn't put McVay in that same category. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, McVay would be like competing for third on my list. He has... He has Will Anderson winning Defensive Rookie of the Year. This one's tough for me. He has Carter third, Kobe Turner second, and then he has Will Anderson at number one. Now, Anderson finished strong, and he finished strong without playing tons of snaps. He played 12 snaps against Tennessee, but had two sacks. And then this past game, he played less than 50% of the snaps. But I think people were kind of wisening up to, like, some of the computer metrics and, like, what the uh, opponents are doing in terms of, like, running the ball whenever he's on the field, whenever he's off the field, win rates, double team rates. Uh, I would have Anderson ahead of Jalen Carter. Kobe Turner's been pretty stinking good. good. A name that not many know about. But, you know, nine sacks, he's done it from a defensive tackle position. Now they play a three-down front as opposed to the Texans playing a four-down front. Kobe Turner, Will Anderson's very tight for me. But I would – yeah, he's third-rounder. I would go Will. I would go Will Anderson over Turner and over – I think timing matters in this one just because Jalen Carter got off to a quick start. He was was stacking some sacks. Their defense looked like it was going to be all-world the entire season, and then they fell off. And Will Anderson continued to get better. He got off to a slow start in terms of the big, sexy numbers on the sacks and things, but he was doing a little bit of everything, and then he kind of got hot at the right time, too. So I I definitely think that he should win the Defensive Rookie of the Year because of the fact that now, depending on when the voting was done and how voters look at it, the Eagles have been a massive disappointment. After the regular season. So then I think that that hurts Jalen Carter a lot. Because I think he fell off, the team fell off, and everybody's like, meh. And at the same time, the Texans and Will Anderson both started, they got hot. They were hot at the right time. They won the division. He played a big impact to last week with limited snaps. He's there on every play, and you have to pay attention to him. And I think that'll matter to people. 
I, I vote. I'm voting for Will. Will would have my vote if I had a vote here. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I would vote for Will as well. And and look, not to take anything away from Kobe Turner, but when you're when you're playing next to Aaron Donald, you're mm-hmm. going to get a lot of single blocks coming your way. So I think that has to be a factor in the equation. Obviously, Jonathan Grenard had a great year as well, but certainly Will Anderson would have received far more attention than Kobe Turner did. But to Joel's point that he made there then about how the Texans are you know, on an upper trajectory while the Eagles are going down, I think that also plays in D'Amico's favor for Coach of the Year. Not that the Browns finished you know, on, a, on a downward trend, but just the drama of being the, the island game on Saturday night, winner, winner take all. I think we saw that on social media with all the NFL accounts and across the league, just all tweet, tweeting about the Texans and D'Amico Ryans. I think that plays in D'Amico Ryans' favor and probably gets him coach of the year. Recency bias will, will be a factor in terms of the publicity. You're right. Because the Browns basically just made, they didn't have to do anything. And they and, and obviously Flacco didn't play. But I think it's a two-person race. And I think I it's, agree with it's that. just how you try and find the value, right? Is it the seven-game turnaround? Or is it taking a team that had a Super Bowl-caliber roster but lost their running back and their quarterback? Is it you know the way D'Amico found everything from changing the culture and all the work he had to do off the field to everything that he did to get out of a rookie quarterback? He, he called the defense a ton of young players as opposed to a really loaded roster. And it's how you try and find the balance on the whiteboard between the two. I, yeah, I, we had a call. Who would have your vote? I, I vote D'Amico. We had a I caller bring up earlier. Defensive you know, player the, of the year? Defensive player of the year is Will Anderson. Will, so you'd have him sweeping. I do. We had a caller bring up Nick Chubb and the Browns losing Nick Chubb earlier. I mean, I think you could make that same case for D'Amico Ryan's a Tank Dell. I know Nick Chubb is the far more established name in the NFL, but as far as what they meant to this year's offense for the two respective teams, Good Tank point. Dell was very important for this offense. Now, it was on his Dell way to break hurt was a little bit strategic. And I know the D'Amico coaches the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I I wouldn't put that that. on D'Amico. No, but he is the head coach. Sure, he could have nixed it. He could have nixed it, but it wasn't his play call. I I agree. I agree. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. Speaking of Bobby Slowick, I saw a lot of criticism during the uh, the game on Saturday towards Bobby Slowick. I think it's unwarranted. What do you think? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Something that is never unwarranted, though, is a good cocktail. And if you're having a good cocktail, it should have some Gentle Ben in it. Uh, Gentle Ben's the best. It all starts with their finest ingredients, classic time-honored distilling methods as well. Gentle Ben uses a revolutionary technology that eliminates all of the impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits you will ever taste. You'll love what's not in Gentle Ben, including VOCs, volatile organic compounds. The Gentle Ben purification process takes out these VOCs, which these things can lead to coughing when you're drinking the other brands. Not with Gentle Ben. You get all the flavor, none of the burn as well, whether it's the vodka, the gin, the straight bourbon whiskey, or the cask strength bourbon. The next time you head to dinner, ask for Gentle Ben. When you go to the bar, ask for Gentle Ben. Look forward to the liquor store, uh, whichever one's on the way home. Pick up a bottle today. Or if you're looking for plans, how about heading out to the Gentle Ben Tasting Room in Alvin? It's a fantastic time. Or if you're going to Rockets game or you're going into the Toyota Center for whatever reason, stop by Ben's Bar inside the Toyota Center and pick up some uh, Gentle Ben on the way to your seat. You can order online as well, GentleBen.com. You can learn their incredible story. Uh, you can figure out which liquor stores carry Gentle Ben, or you can just order Gentle Ben straight from GentleBen.com. How easy is that? Head to GentleBen.com now. Crafted in Texas by Ricky Ford, an A&M grad as well. Gentle Ben, all of the flavor, none of the burn. 
ESPN 97.5 and 92.5, right where you belong. The ass belongs to me. Welcome to Shawshank. The Killer We are back, baby. AFC South champions. We are back. Doesn't matter, Brian. Classic. We are back. That's we great. are back. This is just the beginning. This is the first goal. This is just the beginning. Stroud, wide open for the touchdown is the fullback, Andrew Beck. Carry by Singletary for the touchdown. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. 5% pleasure, 50% pain, 100% reason to remember the pain. Stroud has to spin out of there, backpedaling, and he just throws it <laughs> With a diving catch. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. As Stroud will play action to start. Good protection. Airs it out for Collins. He's got it. One play. Touchdown, Texas. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank on Branham. Texans coming off the victory at Indy. Back into the postseason. 23-19 win. Against the Colts to lock up a spot. Then you got some help from the uh, the old Oilers yesterday, defeating the Jags, the Houston Texans, the lone representative of the uh, AFC South, winners of the AFC South. And I love the old, uh, it doesn't matter, Brian, Bill O'Brien. Doesn't matter, Brian. We got mad at him for playing poorly in a game that they clinched a division title. Uh, a lot of uh, criticism for Bobby Slowick really throughout the year. I saw a lot of criticism uh, during Saturday's win. You know, they got conservative. They didn't keep his foot on the gas. That he didn't let you know Stroud throw it enough. Twenty six times, twenty eight times that they ran the ball. Twenty four of those were for Devin Singletary. Stroud ran it uh, three times. Poor Cameron Johnston. He's forever going to have negative yards in his rushing total. Negative 23 yards on that final play. <laughs> feel bad for Cameron Johnston. He's going to have to have that as career records. Uh, but what did you make of uh, Bobby Slowick's performance as a play caller in Saturday's win? Well, I think to me, and I, I wasn't on Twitter during the game, and I was curious to find out what people were saying. Because when you think about what he had to work with and the fact that he was down, you know, Noah Brown, he was down two of his best receivers with Robert Woods, you already were without Tank. And yeah, you can say, well, he, he found a way to get the ball to Nico. He sure did. He found a way to get the ball to Nico. He found a way to keep the offense moving. He did what he had to do. I, I wasn't critical at all of, of Bobby Sloak. You found out you couldn't run the football, which was unfortunate, with Singletary. And there were some timely runs. But overall, the, the game was won by the hands of your quarterback. He put him in the best spots to put the ball, to feed the receivers. And, and I'm not... I'm not. I'm not one this week to be sitting there saying Bobby Slowick was was too conservative. He didn't have a whole hell of a lot to work with. That's where I'm at with any criticism of Slowick. Like I'll listen to some criticism with Slowick uh, throughout the year. I've certainly criticized the way that he used Tank Dell to block in the box. We all know that. But well, you didn't. You didn't have Noah Brown. You didn't have Robert Woods. You literally played John Mechie over half of the snaps, probably for the first time in his career. Xavier Hutchinson played more than fifty percent of the snaps, probably for the first time in his career. So you were super shorthanded in the. You only carried four receivers, and one of them was a guy that I had never heard of. Is that the tight? The no, tight end guy? No, I saw Bert. I've heard of him. Okay. I was talking about the, uh, the is it Johnson. Like, he played four snaps. And I knew that they activated him. But they had four guys. Four receivers were on the active roster on Saturday. One of them 
well, really, I mean, Mechie's not a rookie, but kind of a rookie because he didn't play at all in his rookie year. Xavier Hutchinson was a late-round rookie. And then Nico Collins was the only decent receiver. Johnson, they, they picked up whatever he played four snaps. really wasn't a factor. So you were incredibly shorthanded. Damian Pierce, who was supposed to be your best running back, literally, literally did not play a single offensive snap. This isn't the week to criticize Bobby Slowick. Like, to me, he scored 23 points with a very patchwork offensive line, or with very patchwork offense, offensive line included, but entire offense. They put up over 300 yards, which, you know, today's day in the NFL, that's not like a super huge number. But I'd rather be over 300 yards than under 300 yards. I thought Slowick did a pretty good job. Well, no doubt about it because of the fact that it's the biggest game of the year everything's on the line and, and obviously this is where cj's value goes up too because of the fact that you tried to do something similar with with one of your backup quarterbacks in case keenum a few weeks ago and you realize just how difficult it is and how valuable cj is but the fact that this was the biggest game of the year dare i say he maximized everything that he could possibly get out of this offense because of what he had to work with other than cj stroud and the fact that they were they were working hard to shut down the running game I think he should get a whole hell of a lot of credit for being able to do what he did with who he had to work with. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. Uh, Ocho says, I think Slowick, it was wise to deploy the two tight end max protection offense because the injuries created limitations offensively. Yeah, it was frustrating and painful to watch at times, but I understood it. See, that's actually not entirely true like they were in 11 personnel just as often as they were in 12 personnel and they use a lot of the the 21 personnel too because they play back quite a bit but they went to three wide more than I thought that they would now you had to use a lot of two tight end stuff because you had like three like real receivers that you were carrying but Slowick incredibly shorthanded I don't know how you could give any sort of criticism to Bobby Slowick 75 true slow gets a trophy for the first play of the game yeah I mean, first play alone, you go 75 yards. First, That was the first time this year. This, this blew my mind. That was the first time this year that an NFL team mm-hmm. scored on the very first offensive play of a game. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that, too. But the bigger thing, too, was when D'Amico was talking about it postgame and he was talking about the fact that I know they had been working on it all week. But then I was like, oh, he's going to go ahead and do it on the first play. And it shows you that, you know, he turns the ball over to the, on the offensive side to Bobby. And he, I don't believe he's ever going to step in. He's letting Bobby run the offense. And the fact that they had the stones to go for it, and it, it really changed the tide because momentum with the, with the Colts at home, getting, a, getting three points on their first drive and really taking up some clock, to answer that quickly and punch them in the mouth was, was a game changer in a lot of ways. And I give them credit for calling it and then the, the guys for executing it. 2912, banged up O line, weak running game, unproven, and then injured receivers. Truly impressive how Stroud and the team performed this season. And uh, how Ryan coached. I think that's well said. I mean, there's so many. There's always injuries to every NFL team, but critical positions that you've had. One five four two Colts fan here. I think for the injuries and suspensions that we Colts had this season, both teams proved were uh, trending in the right direction. Y'all Texans beat us in a great game. I really think Texans and Colts will finally give fans the AFC South rivalry we deserve. Uh, Jags seem to be regressing. Congratulations, Texans fans. Go get some. Uh, appreciate that. That's uh, admirable mm-hmm. that you would say that. I, uh, I do. I do think that you have a, the makings of a rivalry here. I think Steichen and D'Amico are two young coaches that are both very good. And look, Shane Steichen racked up over 200 yards running the football on a D'Amico Ryan's defense that's known to stop the run. I, I think the world of Shane Steichen. I think Shane Steichen's a great coach. You think you have the makings of a couple of rookie quarterbacks? You know, Anthony Richardson has to stay healthy. C.J. Stroud. So I don't disagree with this a whole lot. I would argue though that the Jags aren't going anywhere. I know their season ended abruptly. I know that they were eight and three. 
and it ended badly, I still think the Jags are going to be formidable going forward. Yeah, I do. I think. Look, I think it says a lot about what the division could be going forward, and Tennessee could be at the very bottom trying to figure things out as they try to get younger and better. And even th- with that being said, Levis at least shows you in the short term that he has enough potential that there's another young quarterback that people are going to keep an eye on. But the division got a lot better this year because of the turnaround of those two teams. But Jacksonville, look, I, I want to believe that it, Trevor Lawrence's arm just wasn't right. Because I saw that game yesterday, watching that game, there were a lot of bad throws. There was a lot of miscommunication with his receivers. Um, And and it's not what I expected out of Trevor Lawrence, but I know that he's been dinged up. But there's just too much talent, and they've spent too much money that that team's just going to fold up their tents and go home. I I think that those three teams are going to be heard from for a long period of time. I think it's going to say a lot for how good that division's going to look in the next couple years. I hope his shoulder is as bad as Michael Brantley and Jeff Bagwell's. It's fair. You don't want them to, obviously, you don't want them to be better. But for all the hype of the number one overall pick, and, and you and I have had conversations about it too, look, he's got all the tools. But, you know, I saw him make a lot of bad throws yesterday. I want to, for his sake, I want to say, well, that was probably because he was hurt. But there was a lot of miscommunication too with receivers. And otherwise, we're both were yelling at each other, looking at each other. It's like, that's not time of the year to be doing this, guys. As a Texan's point of view, I want him to be terrible. Absolutely. I hope he's a bust. I hope he's awful. I think he's talented, but. Hopefully, he's just not very good. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. While we're on the topic of quarterbacks, we do it each and every Monday after C.J. Stroud plays a game at quarterback. We grade C.J. Stroud. We've been doing a golf grade. We'll also do a head-to-head grade based on the other quarterback. 713-780-ESPN. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Pump it up. Come on, Digna. It's too small for the both of us. No, it isn't. Jump on, man. I'll give you Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Brennan, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. We'll get to the uh, grading of Stroud in a moment. He's Blank on Brad. I'm 98.45. I live in Houston, so I'm stuck listening to overhyped Texan stuff each week. Well, let's be real. There's only one NFL, or there's only one football team in Texas, and they don't play at NRG. Get out of here. Well, cowboy, man. cowboy action. There were cowboy fans They're, that were mess. Were there messengers in the show saying that as a cowboy fan, there was one earlier. Yeah, there was a they cowboy. Were jealous fan of the, the the way the Texans or the, the the Texan situation right now. Yeah, he said I'm jealous of the Texans, and this is from a cowboy fan. I'm, I'm glad that Cowboys fans can thump their chest over their four playoff wins since 1995. <laughs> Fact. Congratulations. Because the Texans finished in first, and because they, they, the Cowboys they, yeah, finished they in win, first, they play next, yeah, next year. year. That's game 17 strength of schedule with a very specific division, however they calculated, and I'm still not really sure. I know how all the other 16 games are, like how the logistics on that. I still don't understand the logistics on game 17, other than I know it's the opposite conference. Texans go to Arlington next year for the Cowboys. So a little bit more than once every four years, which is awesome. Or in the That'll parking lot attendance. Yeah, they'll have to earn it's overtime. It's going to be some fighting. Get twice as many. Yeah, the schedule's out for next year, too. That's one of the games. They go to Arlington to play the uh, the Cowboys. Uh, 8755, I might be reaching, but I'm a little disappointed in Mechie and Schultz. I thought they'll be thriving in this system. Texans desperately need another receiver to open up this offense for CJ. See, I, I don't think that's fair. Uh, I think... When you look at, even from a Schultz perspective, there's more opportunities for a defensive coordinator and a defense to pay attention to a, a Dalton Schultz when you're down so many quality receivers 
in the entire receiving core of weapons that CJ started the year with. Tank is the first and foremost, but when you take Woods and Noah Brown out of the equation, and you know really from a defensive perspective, you're looking at it going, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at, at Nico, and after I look at Nico, I'm probably going to look at Dalton Schultz, number two. Yeah, the, the Mechie thing's hard to really grade him as a football player since he missed his rookie year because of cancer. Um, now, I understand you need to be you have to grade him critically. Like he, he is one of 53 and those jobs are tough to come by and they're precious. And it's very difficult to keep an unproductive player on the roster. If you're trying to give CJ Stroud a full arsenal of weapons. So I think it's fair uh, to, you know, be critical of John Mechie, but it is the whole story. So it's hard to like, you know, be disappointed in him. Now, if the Texans come to the point where like, Hey, we just drafted this rookie receiver in the third round and we're keeping him or we're keeping John Mechie. It makes it a pretty easy decision. Uh, I think next year's a big year for Mechie. Like yeah. give him one year under his, uh, under his belt, give him a full off season where he's like 100% healthy and see what he looks like next year. As far as Schultz, I think Schultz is solid. I think Schultz is pretty good. I think that you could also let Schultz walk and find a tight end in free agency that's very comparable to the things that Dalton Schultz can do. I think CJ likes him. I, I, obviously, he's a security blanket for him, and he's fit really nicely in the locker room, but price matters. If there's going to be a, a, a team that's you know, also capable of actually winning a Super Bowl or looks like they're further along, a veteran team that's going to want to go get Dalton Schultz, they, they might be willing to pay him more than you're willing to pay him at this point. Uh, and from a Mechie standpoint, We've talked about this before. John Mechie, the human being, is what you cared about first. But this offseason is massive for John Mechie to get back to the football shape and the ability that he was coming out of Alabama. And for the Texans, it's going to be a, it's a tough road to hoe because they've got a tough decision to make because they're trying to upgrade this team now. And they need to know now or never on John Mechie in the offseason, can you do what we drafted you to do? Yeah, I, I think if specifically going back to Dalton Schultz for a second, he – had more catches, had more yards, same amount of touchdowns as he did last year. I mean, I would agree with Jeremy that maybe you set your your aims a little bit higher. There's no reason to pay kind of the 10th best tight end in the league, so to speak. But if you expected a massive jump from Dalton Schultz, one, he did take a small jump. And this is, I mean, being kind of a 650 to 700 yard tight end is who he is. I mean, I, I don't I don't think he really fell under expectations. This is just the type of tight end he is. Yeah, I think it's unfair to call him a disappointment. Like, I think he's been good. I think he's been good. Uh, and, and he's always going to have a pl- special place in Texans history for that catch in Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that's probably what, like, people, I think, like Schultz. I think he's kind of, you know, fans have gravitated towards him because he's kind of on this offense that has revitalized football in Houston. Uh, Corey says this is the reason people dis- dislike us Cowboy fans. And Blaine says I'm a Cowboy fan, and I'm very excited for the local team. C.J. Stratt is legit, may even go watch a game next year. How about the one in Arlington when the Texans play yeah, I mean, at the Cowboys? Look, the we talked Cowboys. about the Colts, potential Colts-Texans rivalry and, and all the different rivals. I mean, could it, it would be pretty nice to be able to say that, hey, Hey, both teams got a fighting shot, and you could have a rivalry in the state of Texas for, for a few years just by the fact that both teams are good, and you can make these kind of comparisons, have these debates, and sometimes play head-to-head. Yeah, it's just hard whenever you're different conferences, right. but I'm old enough to remember when the Oilers were a contender in the AFC, and the Cowboys were obviously a contender in the NFC, and you had people like predicting an all-Texas Super Bowl. Like, I wonder if that will ever happen again. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. Let's get to uh, C.J. Stroud's gray. We do it each and every Monday for the rookie quarterback. 12-26. 264 yards, two touchdowns, uh, 88.1 QBR if you're into that sort of thing. QB rating of 103.4 if you're into that sort of thing. Also ran for 20 yards on three carries. Before we give our assessment, here was uh, his head coach, D'Amico Ryans, after the games talking about his quarterback. 
Yeah, CJ, he doesn't surprise me. Right? He's we've talked about it earlier in the week with you know with CJ just being special in these big time moments when we needed most to step up and make plays. He's done it time after time throughout the entire year. So I don't think it's not surprising to anyone. That's who he is. Right? He's a one of the best passers in his league, and he shows it consistently, game in and game out. All right, Blankers, what is your grade for CJ this week? To me, I'm going double eagle. Uh, because it was the biggest game of the year. It was a win or go home. It was the fact that he was limited in who he had to throw the football to. He did not turn the ball over. He managed the game appropriately, correctly, and made some unbelievably big plays, especially at key moments in that football game. And so I don't think I'm being a homer by saying this. I- I'm saying that realistically, you're enti- mo- the majority of the hopes for you to win this football game rested on the shoulder and shoulders of your rookie starting quarterback, and he performed at a level to which you undoubtedly had a had a leader, had a franchise quarterback, had a winner, and he checked that just yet another box on people questioning this kid to say, can he win a big game that was like a playoff game on the next level? He did all those things to me. He did it with limited resources. I, I'm, I'm going to go that route, and I feel strongly about it. They had uh, 10 possessions in the game. They scored on four of them, which is pretty good. If, you know, 40% is pretty good. Uh, you're at 50%. You're leading the league. So 40% is pretty good. Um, now, two of those were, were field goals, which so it means it stalled out a little bit. Um, he was. They weren't clicking on all cylinders at all times. Like, this wasn't every time they touched the football, they're marching down the field, and they're going seven plays, 75 yards, three minutes. They weren't doing that every single drive. But I didn't expect them to with, with their limited resources that they had at the receiver position against a Colts defense that's playing for their season on the road. So I'm not going to go as far. He was making like clutch plays. He made big plays at big times. Obviously, the first play from scrimmage uh, for C.J. Stroud was magnificent. I'm going to give C.J. Stroud an eagle for his performance guiding the Houston Texans to the postseason. Yeah, I think I would go Eagle as well. Uh, I don't. I don't want to give the best possible grade, but he basically checked off every single box you could hope uh, a rookie quarterback in this situation would do. You'd like to see him hit the big play. He completes the pass to Nico in a seventy-five yard bomb with pressure in his face, like he dropped it in a bucket or handed it to him. You know, down the field, he was efficient with the ball. He went twenty for twenty-six. He didn't turn the ball over. He ran it when he needed to. And Jeremy, you mentioned you know they scored on four of their ten drives. There were two more where they got the ball to midfield. You had the false start. You had the punt where D'Amico, I think, passed on the opportunity to go for it when he should have, when it was fourth and short. So you really put themselves in a position to move the ball or at least affect field position in six of the ten. So uh, C.J. Stroud, you know, basically did everything you could possibly hope he would do in this situation on the road against the defensive front that was playing pretty well. I, I, I'd give him an eagle in this situation. I love how he's such a big game player. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I hesitate to try to be, like, over bullish on anybody. How can you not with C.J. Stroud? I mean, we saw this not? obviously, you know, about a year ago in yeah. that game against Georgia. See, yeah, I didn't put enough stock in that game. I'll be honest. I, I didn't. Like, I thought it was kind of a one-off. Like, he was great. And I didn't put enough stock in his final year at Ohio State because he's throwing to first-round receiver, first-round receiver, first-round receiver. Like, I, I'm I'm a little disappointed in myself that I – I mean, it's hard. Like, no one expected the best rookie year in Fran- like in NFL history in the last right. 25 years. But, um, yeah, the, he's he's pretty special. Yeah, the biggest takeaway was he could run the football. That was one where they decided – oh, people decided – oh, yeah. yeah, he was capable of running the football. He still didn't look like he wanted to or he was going to be the kind of runner that a lot of quarterbacks are in this league with this kind of the newfangled offenses. But that was the biggest takeaway, and – 
we were missing the fact that in big games, the kid steps up. He said today, I think it was on the McAfee show when they were interviewing him, and he said, I like being the villain. I like going in and knowing that they're going to – it's a hostile environment and they're going to play the introductions and all the blue lights and make us sit through that and think that it's going to have a negative effect on us. That's the kid with the stones that you want quarterback in your football team for the next seven years. And I, and I think that comes from being the Ohio State quarterback, does it not? I mean, Ohio State, especially in that conference, is the villain every yep. single stadium they play in. There's not a single stadium across the country that the Ohio State Buckeyes go into where the other the, the home uh, team fans don't absolutely hate them. It's them in Michigan, and then it's everybody else where there's, a, there's kind of a, a respect that goes with the conference. But, yeah, those two teams, when they walk into your building or you walk into theirs – or a, a casual viewer puts on the television, majority of the people not in their home state rooting against them. The, um, the, I think it's a good call. He always has the target on his back. Look, sounds like he has a little Reggie Miller in him, which is awesome. Like, I think the best sound in sports was when you silence a home crowd. So I love that about C.J. Stroud. Mm-hmm. How about the boxing grade? Stroud Minshew for grading this like a round. See, and you guys, I'm not as familiar with. I, I was Again, I don't understand. There's a differential. So I'd say 10-8. I said 10-8 once before. Yeah. But I, I think that... It's as close to like a technical knockout as you can get because of the fact that Gardner Minshew peed down his leg in the the biggest play. <laughs> CJ made all the biggest plays, including that back foot throw to Nico when they absolutely had to have it. And so, however you want to grade that, I'd say a technical knockout is probably the best way to do it. What up, Brian? Has judged boxing. Brian's yeah, the really? closest expert we have to boxing judges. Brian, how rare is a ten seven round? Oh God! Very, very rare. I, I can't, I can't think of what would happen in a ten-seven round. Like you maybe would, a, you would need multiple knockdowns. Okay. Yeah, you would. You'd have to have multiple knockdowns at bare minimum. Because, You'd, because I can't call it a TKO or a knockout because Minshew at least finished the game. I thought he was lousy. I didn't think he was very good. He had a couple deep balls that were like there that he overthrew. The one that was it, Mo Alley Cox down the left yes, side. Yeah, line. Mo yes, Alley. Well, that, that was, was there. That, that was would have been a touchdown, would it not? Probably. Yep. He had like yeah. three yards of separation. So like that was there that he missed on. He had a couple of other deep shot like. At halftime, they were talking about how the Colts were conservative and they weren't pushing the ball downfield. I'm like, the Colts have pushed it more downfield than the Texans outside of the first play from scrimmage. Minshew's just missing. And if you if you just are if you are halfway decent with the way you were able to run the football, you should have won that game. When you look at the stats and say we're dominating running the football game, I don't have to make every throw, but if I just can make the the key throws. That the Colts should say that they should have won that football game with the way they dominated the run well, game. I mean, especially because you just mentioned it, Joel, with the way the te- the Colts are running the ball, that should give Minshew easy throws. Yes. You would think the He's Texans bad. are just going to have to sell out to, to stop the run when, uh, literally, I'll repeat this, I said earlier in the show, the Colts were averaging over nine yards to carry deep into the second half of that game. So you would think that would give Minshew better throwing lanes, but it didn't seem to matter because, obviously, we mentioned the overthrow to Mo Ali cox and a few others, and then... What looks like the biggest gimme of the game, the pass to Goodson, yeah. I mean, Minshew can't complete that, whereas C.J. Stroud is making multiple uh, you know, deep outs in the bomb to Nico when he's getting drilled or, yeah. th- or thrown off his back Even foot. Even the throw to Hutchinson across the middle, I think if that's Robert Woods, he makes that catch. He hit him in the hands. C.J. did. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I could see that. It was triple coverage. You know, you might second guess should he have made that throw. But the fact of the matter is he put it where his receiver could get two hands on the football and maybe a veteran, more experienced football player could catch that football, but he hit him right in the hand. I thought that I thought Schultz had a pretty big drop too. A little, you know, uh, sideline route. Looked like a little bit of a flag route and a corner route towards the sideline. That it would have been a good catch, but I thought he should have made it. What's your boxing grade, Brian? Yeah, I As would I would I would go 
Ten seven is just. I mean, ten seven is got to be reserved. I think for a game where basically someone goes ten of thirty for with three <laughs> interceptions. So I can't go ten seven, but I would definitely go ten eight. It was it was definitely more than the average ten nine win. That uh, was definitely the equivalent of CJ Stroud scoring a knockdown in that game. There you go, unanimous decision. C.J. Stroud over Gardner Minshew. Not exactly news, right? All right, Mailbag Monday. You can ask the Killer Bees whatever you want. We're going to put an emphasis on Texans questions, though, just so you know. 713-780-3776. What are your questions for the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5? ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Doing just enough not to get fired. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. 